Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. Um, I want to lay a foundation for us today for this topic by quoting some famous theologians and hymn writers from the 1980s, a band called Warrant. Here's what they said. Heaven isn't too far away. Come on. Closer to it every day. No matter what your friends try to say. Come on, heaven isn't too far away, right? Are you with me? Listen, listen, you might not be a fan of the band Warrant. If not, this might not be the church for you. I'll just throw that out there. But they got it right. The heaven isn't too far away. In fact, we are closer to it every single day. And if that's not enough for us to build a case on why, we should talk more often about this place called heaven. I came across a statistic this week that is staggering. Here it is. The mortality rate currently in the United States of America, you know what it is? 100%. You know what that means? To quote another 1980s theologian, Axel Rose, you're in the jungle, baby, and you're going to die, right? Come on. It's going to be a great day in church, man. I'm pumped up, ready to go. You are going to die. It's an encouraging message already from the start. But because of that, this is something that we need to talk about. This is something we need to, to confront and wrestle with. And, and all kidding aside, the more I looked into it, the more I, I read a lot of commentary on it, the more I listened to some people who are way smarter than I am uh, reading their thoughts about heaven, the more I realized people are equally nervous and anxious, even to the point of, of being fearful about what happens after they die, as they are about the act of dying in and of itself. In fact, there's a phobia of heaven. It's called oranophobia, and it's not a phobia for people who don't believe in heaven. It's not a phobia for people who are agnostic or, or atheists uh, who would call themselves one of those things. It's a phobia for people who actually believe there is a heaven, and when they die, they are going to go there, and they still are, are afraid of it. They, they have this fear of it. It's, it's a fear of those who believe in the reality of heaven. And they fear it because there's so much confusion on it. So much um, anxiety about the subject of heaven. And I, I just think it's dangerous for us to have a strong theology of the gospel. And the implications of the gospel in our life. And I think, you know, if you've been coming to this church for any amount of time, you have a pretty sturdy understanding of the gospel. The gospel message meaning who Jesus is and, and what he did for us. Because we talk about the gospel all the time. However, if we don't carry over that conversation and continue the gospel in its fullness by talking about the ultimate culmination of the gospel in a place called heaven, then I think it's dangerous. And I think we're, we're missing a, a huge side of this. It's dangerous to have a strong theology of the, the gospel as it relates to here and now. While having a misinformed theology, or I would even submit an indifferent theology about heaven. And about what happens in, in heaven when we, when we pass on from this life. We should have at the forefront of our understanding of God's greater story an accurate picture of heaven. 
Because again, this is as good as it gets, I promise you. It doesn't get any better than what we're going to talk about today. There is no part of the, the gospel where the news is better than the culmination of all things in a perfected, sin-free, sickness-free, disease-free place called heaven. In fact, we are called to gather our joy and our peace and our confidence and our security for living this life in the very uh, midst of difficult times. Anybody walking through anything difficult, you don't have to raise your hand, but we all struggle. In this world, we will have trouble, right? But we, don't, we gather our confidence for that by fixing our eyes not on the things of this world, but by fixing them on eternity. In fact, some of the great men and women of faith that we read about in the Bible and love to talk about the, the great risks and exploits that they made on behalf of God, like their motivating factor, Hebrews 11 tells us, wasn't that they were looking forward to this place, to here and now. Their motivating factor, the, the gas that fueled their mission was that they were looking forward to their future home, a home in heaven, which is where you and I, as followers of Jesus, and again, that might not be everybody in this room. I'm praying by the time we're done today, you would be confronted with who Jesus is and what he did. But it was the, the, the looking forward to their future home in heaven, which was their, their motivation, which was the gas for the, the, the fire that they had. But there are so many things that are keeping people from thinking about and talking about heaven. I want to list a few of them. One of them is we happen to live in a country right now where... A lot of people would say, well, this is the closest thing to heaven. It is. It's an amazing country. Um, you know, especially in the last hundred years, we look at all the advances that we've made, technological advances, uh, medical advances. We even have, like, like, cosmetic advances. First Corinthians tells us that our bodies are a tent. Right? We're like a tent. How many of you know the tent gets worn down? The tent starts to get droopy. All right, right with me? And even now we have, we have operations that you can literally take the tent pegs and stretch them back to where they used to be, right? <laughs> Times have changed, that's all I'm saying. You know, I don't have to say anything more about that. But right now people would think, man, this is as good as it gets. This world that we live in, this country that we live in, this is as good as it gets. Or not only that, you grew up maybe with some bad Sunday school theology about heaven. Like when you think of heaven, you think... Of, of a fat little baby on a cloud with a harp, you know, for eternity. And there's all kinds of problems with that, that theology because I've had four fat little babies and, and they're amazing. But I don't want to be one for eternity. Anybody with me? All they do is eat and sleep and eat and sleep and poop and like that's all they do. I don't want to, like I can think of a few other things I'd like to throw into the mix when it comes to eternity. And while the harp is a cool instrument... I don't want to play one for eternity, right? Like, like, give me a guitar. Give me a, you know, give me some drums. Give me some, a subscription to Netflix. Give me something, right, to pass the time. And what happens if I'm afraid of heights and I'm this little fat little baby on a cloud for eternity and I'm not afraid that I'm just going to fall through that thing? Come on. Like, there's some bad misunderstandings and theology about, about heaven. There's also a one that says heaven's going to be like an endless church service. You heard that before? Just this endless church service. In fact, that usually comes from a pastor who's angry that their congregation isn't singing well enough in worship. And so they say, hey, if you don't like this, then you're going to hate heaven, right? They're going to get on 
Like you're gonna, if you don't like this kind of worship, then you're not gonna, you're not gonna like it in heaven. And heaven um, is just this endless church service where people are, are just singing constantly, laying prostrate before, before God for eternity. You know, and, and you're thinking, Kobe, I, I, I love church, that's why I'm here today. But at some point, a brother needs some blazed pizza, so let's go, preacher man, hurry this thing up. You know, the football game's on. But we have this, this idea that it's this endless church service. And let me just say this, I believe the worship in, in heaven will be unbelievable, like nothing we've ever experienced. We'll be in the physical, tangible presence of God, but there's so much more to heaven than just that. Another issue people bring and raise when it comes to heaven, because the culture that we live in, if we're not careful, we buy into this mantra of how to do our life, and we say things like YOLO. YOLO. You know what that means? You only live once. And it's true. However, it's a half-truth. It should be you only live once, comma, but guess what? It's forever. It's for eternity because we are eternal beings. At some point, our physical bodies will stop pumping blood to our, our heart, but our spirit will be more alive than it ever has been. That's what D.L. Moody tells us. He, he said this, when I die, don't grieve for me because I will be more alive in that moment than I ever have been. Listen, you are going to be alive forever, whether it's the 60, 70, 80 years on this side of, of eternity or it's for infinity on the next side. All that to say, we don't have to live life with this bucketless mentality that if I don't, you know, jump out of every plane, or if I don't ski down every slope, you know, that, that there is, or if I don't touch on my, my feet on every continent in the world, then I'm just going to somehow live my life filled with, with regrets. You know, I'm going to arrive at the, my deathbed full of regrets. And let me just say this, like if, if anything you get to, to do or accomplish in this life or experience in this life thing, like it's all just a tiny taste it's all pales in comparison to what heaven will be like. A complete, perfected earth and heaven without sin. It's all going to pale in comparison to it. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, we're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of the holiday at sea. Elevate church on your best day, the best day you can imagine. And for me, it, it will probably change seasonally, but right now, my best day, I shared this with our, our, our men you know, during our brotherhood nights, which by the way, if you weren't here for sisterhood on Monday or brotherhood on Tuesday, listen, we had over 200 people show up to get connected in community and gather and make friends don't miss it this week, all right? You better be here Monday, ladies, at 7. Guys, Tuesday at 7. You're not going to want to miss it. But my best day right now is I would wake up and I'd go play pickleball. Any pickleballers in the house? Pickleball? One? Well, let's go play. Pickleball, i go play some pickleball. And then I would get on a motorcycle and I'd drive around the city of Erie. And I love dreaming about where God's going to open up a building or open up some land or what, whatever that's going to look like for us to, to move into and continue to expand here in the city. I love doing that. And then I meet my wife at Blaze Pizza because God loves some Blaze Pizza. So I'm going to get some of that. 
Blaze Pizza, and then I would go home and get one of my kids and take them fly fishing for steelhead. Any steelheaders? Like, all right, we got some, like, I'll do that. Um, and just one of my kids, because if you take multiple kids, it's just not fun. It's just not fun. I'd say one of them fly fishing, come back home, eat some white chicken chili with my family, and then my wife and I will go to bed, we'll cuddle, we'll watch two episodes of The Amazing Race, and then whatever happens after that is a series in about three months from now, and you're not going to want to miss it. It'll be awesome, right? I'm just saying. That's my best day. It's biblical. I'm not ashamed to talk about that. It's biblical. It's my best day. But on my best day and your best day, it pales in comparison. It's mud pies. It's mud pies in a slum compared to the offer of a holiday at sea. That's what C.S. Lewis is talking about when he is talking about heaven. When he's talking about heaven. And here's the, the, the cool thing about heaven. Again, it's just endless good news. It's just good news on top of good news on top of more good news. And so we're going to talk about it. I think a lot of people are wondering, Colby, well, what happens Maybe you've lost someone recently, they've, they've passed away, or, or it could be, and I know some of your story. There's sickness, there's, there's a disease, and you're thinking about what happens when you die, or perhaps you're like, Colby, the moment I breathe my last breath on this earth, like what, what's going to happen? And there's a lot of misconceptions about that. And so I want to start with the first big one. People assume this right here. People assume that when I die, my earthly experience is over forever. And maybe you, you think that as well. And I'm not just referring to the negative things like sickness and sadness and, and, and sin. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about the waves and the ocean and the beach and the mountains and all those kinds of, of beautiful things. We assume that that part of the world is over. That this fallen, messed up, broken world is done. I'm going to somehow be transported to another, you know, spiritual or celestial, you know, kind of place. But it's not going to be anything like this place. And that's just not true. When you die, uh, for a period of time, you're going to be a spirit without a body. And I just want you to know quickly, uh, just to take some notes along the way, that I'm not going to give you my opinion on this. I'm just going to share what God's word has to say about the subject of heaven. But Ecclesiastes 12.7 says this, that our bodies, they go back to the dust with which they were created. They go back to the ground it came from, but our spirits return, right, to be with God. Our spirits go to be with God. Because we're going to see in a minute, um, we're waiting on new bodies, a resurrected body. And, and can I just tell you something? It's not just our bodies that need a resurrection, but it's this planet that needs a resurrection, is the earth is groaning as in childbirth, waiting to be restored back to its original design. That's what Romans tells us. It's not just the planet, though. It's also heaven that's going to have a resurrection. And I know that might sound crazy because often when we think about God and heaven, we think those two are, are synonymous. We think God uh, goes, you know, hand in hand with heaven and heaven goes hand in hand with God. But let me remind you, um, God has to be there for there to be a heaven, but heaven does not have to be there for there to be a God. Because in the beginning, in Genesis 1, we learned that God created what? The heavens and the earth. So God was there before the heavens were even there. And so as hard as it is for our mind to understand that and grasp that, God was there before heaven. And so in the same way, again, Romans 8 tells us this world 
is groaning to be made right. It's just saying, hey, I'm waiting for God to return to fix this, fix what's, what's broken. Like our, our solar system, fix what's broken. Our weather patterns of this earth, as dangerous and as volatile as those can be, just like this world is groaning to be made right, so is heaven. Heaven is waiting. Heaven is, is groaning because we're going to have a new heaven, a resurrected heaven, and a new earth. Again, don't take my word for it. Isaiah 65, 17 says this. He's, he's prophesying. He's speaking on behalf of God. He's kind of like giving an, an insider tip. He says this. See, I will create what? New heavens. I'll create new heavens and a new earth. So that implies what? There's an old heaven and an old earth. 2 Peter 3.7, I'm going to, Felicia. 2 Peter 3.7 says this. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the present day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Verse 13, skip down, says, but in keeping with his, that's God's promise, we are looking forward, here's the language again, to a what? New heaven. And again, most people think that this is earth until we die and then we go someplace else, heaven forever. But it's not just a new heaven, it's also going to be a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Revelation 21, second to last chapter in your Bible. This is John. He had a vision from heaven. He says, then I saw, here it is, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, that's what we're experiencing, you know, right now, the first earth, what we're on right now, had passed away. One of the guys I was reading on this subject, his name was Randy Alcorn, and this is what he writes. He says, the present heaven is a temporary residence where the departed saints live until the return of Christ and our bodily resurrection. The eternal heaven, the new earth, is our true home, the place where we will live with our Lord and with one another, the great redemptive promises of God will find their ultimate fulfillment on the new earth, not in the present heaven. See, when we abandon this assumption that heaven cannot change, then it all, all, all starts to make sense. Now, real quick, God cannot change. God is immutable. That's what that word means. He is unchanging. God does not change, but he clearly tells us in several passages that heaven will. That there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And here's why we need it. Ephesians 6, 12. Let me give you an example. It says this, our struggle. In fact, we started this series with, with this passage called, called Supernatural. Because we're talking about things that we, we normally think are, are supernatural, are out there. And we don't, we don't focus on enough. But it says our struggle in this world, because we all have them, are not with flesh and blood. But they're against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil. Where are they? In the heavenly realms. That's what's happening. There needs to be a, a new heaven. Now before you, you kind of uh, freak out and rethink all of your comforting and um, romanticized ideas about where your, your family members, your deceased family members or friends have gone and what this looks like, this, this battle that's happening in the heavenly realms or where little Boo-Boo the cat, you know, your pet, you know, has died and where they are right now. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Here's what I need you to know. The Bible says light and darkness cannot have fellowship with one another. So it's not, it says that God and Satan cannot coexist 
And so heaven in its purest state is, is wherever God is, that's where heaven is. And the Apostle Paul, he tells us in Philippians, he says this, um, man, I'm torn for, for me to depart to be with Christ. Like to, 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 part, to depart to be with Christ is, is better, but for me to live as Christ, you know, is, is, is great while I'm on this earth. But to die would be gain. It'd be gain. It's better that, uh, that I die. And the reason why this is so credible, um, mark this down, 2 Corinthians 12. Go back and read it. You'll see that Paul, just like John, he experienced heaven. Do you realize that? He had a vision of heaven. He saw heaven. He, 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 he felt, right, heaven, spent time in heaven, knows about the glory and the majesty of, of heaven. So even though this is not the new one yet, he says it's by far better than what we're experiencing right now. So in other words, all of your family members who have gone on, who have, who have been deceased, if they are in Christ, said yes to Jesus, they are in the physical presence of God. And they're doing a gazillion times better than any of us are doing on our best day. So all that being said, I want to spend most of our time talking about where we're going to spend most of our time. And that is eternity. That is eternity. And it's not the, the temporary or the current heaven, which is also waiting on a resurrection, but it's the new heaven and the new earth. Are you with me? I know this is a lot to cover. Is everybody okay? Are we all right? Okay, here we go. Revelation 21, verse 1. Again, John says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down, the new heaven coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, this is Jesus talking in John's vision of heaven. Look, God's dwelling place is among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their, their God. Now don't miss this. I love how personal and relational of a God we, we serve that we have. It says, who will wipe away? Who does it say? You can say it out loud. It's okay. He. He. It says God is going to wipe away every tear. Is that not deeply relational and personal? Is that not amazing? It could say every tear that you've cried will be gone. It will be no more. But that's not what he says. It says God himself. Every tear that you have cried, every time you felt alone, any, any sadness that you've had, any anxiety, the moment of depression, the moment of pain, anything that you've, you've cried, it matters to God. God himself is going to wipe away. I just love that. In fact, in Psalms, it tells us that God has been collecting our tears in a, in a bottle as a memorial to the things that we have gone through. He is deeply relational and personal. It says he'll wipe away every tears. From their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying. I love this one. Or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Is that not amazing? No chronic back pain. Come on, guys. No, no more knee pain for those of you over 40 in the room like me. Right? No more hip surgeries. No more disease. No more cancer wreaking havoc on the insides of your, your body. No more emotional pain. From abuse that happened to you as a child that you still carry with you today. No more psychological pain. No more religious pain or baggage, perhaps, that you carry. None of that. 
will be able to exist in heaven. It says this, verse 5, he who was seated on the throne said, now this is God speaking, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So not only is there no more death or mourning or crying, skip down to verse 27, it says this, nothing impure will enter heaven. Now think about that. Nothing impure will be with you for an eternity. Nothing impure, nor anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There will be no shame in heaven. There will be no one there or anything there to deceive you, to cause deception or disruption. Like, think about this place. Then it says this in 22, verse 3, it says, no longer will there be any, any curse. And again, I know I've given you a ton of text so far. We're just taking a Bible bath today. Uh, but I imagine thinking about that type of environment, what that's going to look like. Imagine getting, getting back the thing that, that right now causes us so much issue, our bodies. Having a redeemed body, especially as we get older, right, you know, and the body stops functioning at the level that we hope it would, would function or, or at the level like it did when we were kids. And by the way, we're not just getting bodies back that have been, you know, perfected, but we're getting supernatural bodies. That's what the Bible tells us. It's like your body on steroids, but not on steroids that, you know, hurt your kidneys or make you angry, right? It's kind of be like, be like, good for you. Like, it's, it's, it's going to be amazing. And I don't know why, by the way, people have so much trouble with this kind of theology. Because when God created us in Genesis chapter 1, you need to understand this. He was not a, a beginner level artist. He, he wasn't like, well, let's try and let's see what we can do with these guys. And, and then we'll make some adjustments and do something. No, when he created you, he created you in his image. He created you to be like him in this perfected form. It wasn't until sin came into the picture Right, that broke the, 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 the vision that he had for our life. Sin caused that. But before there was sin, man, we had this unbelievable capacity with our bodies that we can't even imagine. Before sin, death was not an option. Before sin, like disease wasn't an option. Decay wasn't an option. Sagging and, and you know, wrinkles, those weren't even on the menu before sin. And now, right, in the new heaven, everything that you love about your body will be restored Back to you, except this time without decay or death. 1 Corinthians 15.35 says this, but someone will ask, and maybe this is the question that you have, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? What's that going to look like? Skip down to verse 42. It says, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead, the body that is sown perishable is raised. What? Imperishable. That's awesome. You know what that means? It means Iron Man. Right? That means indestructible. That's what imperishable means. The body that's sown in dishonor will be raised in glory. The body that's sown in weakness will be raised in what? In power. We are put into the ground, these natural bodies of ours, but we will be raised with a supernatural body. We'll be raised a spiritual body. So we're going to have a supernatural body. For me, it's going, to, it's going to look much the way I do now. Same handsome face, but it's going to be probably a little, little thinner, a little taller perhaps. I don't know. It'll be the supernatural body. And I, I think some people go, well, Colby, wouldn't it be amazing 
to see, you know, and to, to have an idea of what that's going to look like. Maybe so I don't have to live with, you know, a, a level of anxiety here and now on this earth. Well, I got good news for you because we have a person on record in history who was resurrected. His name was Jesus. And so we know a few things about the resurrected form. Philippians 3, 20, 21 makes it very clear that our bodies are going to be like Jesus. Listen to this. But our citizenship, it says, is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, here's what he's going to do. He will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like whose? Like his. He's going to transform our body so that it will be like his glorious body. And when Jesus was resurrected, we know a few things about his body. First of all, we know that it had skin and bones. Because he, he walked around, he had some sort of earthly form, much like we have right now, the, the form that God originally intended for us. We also know that he could touch and feel. We know that about his resurrected body. Because when, when Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, the first time she met Jesus and saw him, she ran and she hugged him, the Bible says. So our bodies are going to have that ability to be touched and felt, but in the most beautiful and, and redeemable kinds of, of ways. We also know that Jesus, check this out, when the doors were locked on a on meeting, the guys were hiding. After what had happened, Jesus just appeared in the room. He like walked right through the walls. That's X-Men stuff happening right there. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't know how, I don't know, you know, how that even begins to work. But that's just, that's crazy. That's supernatural. Why do you think we like to watch those kinds of movies? Why do you think kids have such a, a fascination with with superheroes, why do you think kids during this season, right, are talking about what, what superhero they want to be for Halloween, what costume they want to put on? I have a five-year-old, Gray, who, who is in that, that phase of we have a box of costumes in our basement because he has three older brothers that have gone through these, and he just likes putting them on. You know, there will be some days he will put on every single costume that we have, mainly ninjas, all right? We got a lot of ninja costumes. We have a Slender Man thing. Um, but in our defense, we had no idea who Slender Man was when we bought it. We just thought it was some morph suit with a tuxedo on it. We got a, we got a Chase costume, you know, Chase, you know, he loves to be Chase right now from Paw Patrol. Uh, when he goes and visits his cousins down in Charlotte, North Carolina, they're mostly girls. They'll put an Elsa dress on him. And he is still grounded for that right now. He's not here today. He is not allowed. In fact, um, that side of the family is dead to us. They just need to know that. But when he puts on these costumes, he is with all integrity that superhero. Where does he get that instinct from? That comes from God. God created us in his, in his image. You know, and then we look at those things and think, well, man, that's cute. You know, that's awesome. But they're going to grow out of that, you know, that silly kind of phase in their life. And God's like, no. Where do you think that instinct came from? He said, you know, I, I gave that to him. Jesus walked through walls, walked through walls in his resurrected body. In fact, here's the greatest news uh, about our resurrected bodies that we know from Jesus. This is the best news yet, at least it is in my opinion. You ready for it? Here it is right here. In his resurrected body, Jesus ate. That's what I'm talking about. He ate. While he was here on earth in his resurrected body, he ate. Can I get a witness in the house today? He ate some food. We at least have 
two different times on record where Jesus ate. In fact, one of the times he cooked the meal himself. He cooked some, grilled some fish over a fire and his disciples, you know, showed up. This you don't have in your notes, but Luke twenty two thirty 30 says, Just as my father has granted me a kingdom, now I grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in the kingdom. Matthew 8, 11 says this, Many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from the east and from the west, and they will sit down, and this is amazing right here, with Abraham and with Isaac and Jacob, and here's what they're going to do. They're going to feast in the kingdom of heaven. Man, some of the most important things we are going to do in heaven center around, just like they do here and now, a meal together, eating together, a celebration together. Now, are you ready for the, the Super Bowl uh, scripture of food as it relates to heaven? Here we go. Check this out. Isaiah 25, 6. Isaiah is prophesying about the new heavens and the new earth. And here's what he said. In Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies, right, that's Jesus, He's going to lay a spread out, a spread, a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine. Mm -hmm. And I might cry a little here. Choice meat. Thank you, Lord. Which means, hey, vegans, vegetarians. Two things. One, relax. Number two, stop. Stop. Just stop. Like, right? Meat is what's for dinner. That's what we're going to have in heaven. And I had somebody ask me earlier, like, Colby, does that mean that there will be hunters and hunting in heaven because that meat's got to come from somewhere? I don't know. All I know is it says there's going to be well-aged wine, like white, like clear wine, and choice meat. Now, I don't have time to go into the all the detail like I did with food, but you'll find that same kind of detail when it comes to laughter. There's going to be so much laughter in heaven. It's going to be a party. The Bible tells us that laughter is good for the soul. It's like good, good medicine. There's going to be laughing. There's going to be dancing in heaven. So much scripture about, about dancing in heaven. And I don't know now because things like, like dancing can be done in such unredeemed or perverted ways, we can make the mistake of thinking, well, that's going to be, you know, that's not happening in heaven. There's not going to be any of, any of that kind of thing we're going to experience. But remember, God created all this. And so heaven is the redemption of all these things that perhaps we have, have perverted, sin-stained that picture of God's original design. So those instincts you have to dance and to laugh and a party and to eat and to hang out. There's going to be so much music in heaven. I'm just, I'm just telling you, it will all be totally redeemed. Just don't make the mistake of disconnecting all the, the wonderful instincts you have about this world for, for music and art and design and sports and culture and great food. All these things we get so much pleasure from. Listen, we have an enemy of our soul. His name is Satan. And here's something you should know about Satan. He cannot, he has not one ounce of power to create anything pleasurable. He can't do it. But he loves to pervert the pleasures that God's created. And that's what C.S. Lewis tells us. C.S. Lewis said this. Uh, uh, is he takes all those pleasures and he gives them back to us in perverted fashion so that they will destroy us. That's his goal. But God wants to redeem all those things, all those instincts that he, he has given us. We are created in, in his image, except this time with no shame, with no guilt, with no death, no decay, no temptation. All those things will be realized in their perfect 
form. Listen, I'm almost out of time, but there's also this idea, and I can't go into it, that we'll be able to go places quickly, maybe even fly. That's what I'm talking about. I'm excited for that. And animals. I said we're going to talk about animals. There, there will be animals everywhere, everywhere in heaven. Like, where do you think that choice meat's coming from? I'm just saying. There's going to be animals everywhere. Now people will ask, Colby, what about my little boo-boo the cat? You know, is there, are they going to be in heaven? I don't know. I don't know. Um, if you want my real opinion, my guess is no. But I can tell you this. If they are not there, if not, there will be some new animals there to be pets. And it's going to be awesome. Check this out. Again, I'm just reading God's word. Isaiah 11, 6, 8 says this. Um, He's talking about the new heaven and the new earth. He says, the wolf will live with the lamb. You know what the wolf does with the lamb right now? They ain't living together. It says, the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling are together. And here's the coolest part of it because I think it speaks to more than just having a pet. It says this, and the little child will lead them. Is that not amazing? Like, I'm a parent who has spent an inordinate amount of time and money at the zoo. Like, my kids, you know, growing up in their early years, they loved going to the zoo. But every time we go to the zoo, like, we don't think about the fact that here are our kids staring and staring at these animals on this other side of a, a fence that God had actually created us to be in relationship with. I, I know it's crazy, but can I tell you, I think that's a great picture of this broken world and what's going on uh, right now, because with the majesty of music and art and culture and all those things and food and fun and all the things I'm living out, I think right now we, we get to see those in part. We get to experience it in a little, like a little bit, a taste of it. We have some degree of amazement about the world we're living in, but there's a fence in front of it. There's a fence in front of what God is ultimately going to allow us to experience in eternity forever. Heaven is an eternal breaking down of that fence. You just hear, hear who's leading the lamb and the lions, it says the little kids. That's why they, they love the zoo. Because they were created to have relationship with the, the animals without any kind of fear. He goes on to say this, the cow will feed with the bear, the, their young will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like the ox instead of eating the ox. It says the infant I, and I don't know about this one. This one I'm still a little uncomfortable with. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. And I'm just, I got to trust heaven though. It says, they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for as the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And I could talk so much more uh, about heaven and just read scripture after scripture about scripture after scripture about heaven. And what it's going to be like in this new heaven and this new earth. Like we're going to have a, a new heaven to, to participate in, but we're also going to have this new earth to play in. And I'm going to have the band come and help me close this thing out because we're called in the New Testament to fix our eyes there. On all that that we've talked about. They're not on the things of this world. Why, Colby, did God ask us to do that? Because life is hard. Life is hard. I mean, Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You will have struggles. But when we fix our eyes on that, that perfected place that God is going to create for us, this new heaven, this new earth, 
And that's where we draw our joy and our confidence from and our peace from. Can I tell you something? There is not a lot we can't endure. And I get it, life is hard. And we will have, have trouble. But there's so much that our words can't even begin to describe and explain about heaven. And God gives us a taste and just a hint in his word of what that will be like. All the instincts that we have of, of heaven that we love and all the ways this earth has been broken and perverted because of sin, all those things are gonna come back to us in the most redeemed and wonderful ways. And so here's what this means. You and I, we don't have to live life on this earth like if we don't do anything, we're gonna live a life full of regret. Do everything on this earth. Because this earth is not all there is to our life. It also means that you don't have to live life in fear of death. Because the moment you breathe your last, you will be more alive than you ever imagined. There's been so much fear of death. So much fear. So we don't have to live this way. In fact, the message of this talk on heaven is two words. You ready for them? Here they are. Write them down. You win. You win. Come on, that's good news. I told you it was good news all day long. You win. So it doesn't matter, matter the season of life you're in. It doesn't matter the, the chapter of the story that you are writing in your life right now. It doesn't matter how dark or difficult things are in the end. If you're a follower of Jesus, you win. Come on, all we do is win. 2 Corinthians 4 says this, we don't lose heart, Elevate Church. Why? Because of heaven. It says, though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Because our light and momentary troubles are doing something. What you are going through right now is achieving something in you. It's achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, because what is seen is temporary, but we fix our eyes on what is unseen, because what is unseen is eternal. And here's what this is saying. We are achieving something eternal in the middle of something that's painful. And only the people who have a strong theology of heaven seem to make it through this life with peace and confidence and joy. Right? You have to have this. If you don't have this, it's, it's difficult. The picture of heaven is a constant reminder. We should revisit the topic of heaven. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast, and we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com yes. There will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.